Father, as we open the word now, this is your word given by your Holy Spirit for your people. And so we ask that your Holy Spirit might illuminate us, that your Holy Spirit might encourage us, energize us to do whatever you say unto us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this glorious church, this incredible body of Christ. Lord, we pray that we might become more aware of what it means to be a part of this body in this coming year. Help us, our Father, to truly fulfill the purpose for our being here by being what you want us to be for the glory of the triune God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is the end of the year. Well, I'm sorry, this is the beginning of the year. The end of last year is finished, one week. But this is a time when many people, businesses even, individuals, take stock of where they are, where they've come from, where they would like to go. This is a time for evaluating. This is a time to making sure that we're on the track where God wants us to go. If we're not to establish goals and objectives for us to accomplish in the coming year. And so we want to do that also in the context of the church. The church. Now, there's a picture on here that gives us of what we'd like to be. Not what we are, but what we'd like to be. And this is what I want to emphasize when it comes to Christians. What we should be interested in is what God wants us to be more than what he wants us to do. You see, sometimes we become so involved in doing that we forget that it's only effective if we are what God wants us to be, you see. And we are going to focus then on what it is that God wants us to be that impacts our doing as well. So the question we want to ask you then is, why are we here? If I were to, and I was going to do this, but I was afraid I might get beat up. I was going to come and ask you, Terrence, why are you in here this morning? Why are you in this service? Terrence probably says, because I get paid for coming to church. Some of you would say, I'm here well because my wife dragged me here. Some of you who have been in the ministry long, some of him, mom, because there's nothing else I could do. I've been doing it so long now. This is it. I'm just here. Very few of you, I would dare to say, and this is not a judgmental, I believe this can be borne out scientifically. Very few of you will answer in respect to determining that you want to be here because you want to be what God wants you to be. And because you see yourself as a part of this tremendous plan that God has on the earth for proclaiming the Lordship of Jesus Christ. That, that, some of you, that, wouldn't, even, that wouldn't even enter your mind. And you see, so many of us as Christians are living our Christian life in a vacuum. Tradition. This is what we've been doing. That's it. This is how I'm faithful. By coming out, giving my tithes, going back home, maybe now and then, Doing a little service. Or sometimes reverse. I've been in this ministry all the time and I'm here because there's nobody else to do it. That's why I'm here. Some of you say, that's why I'm not a part of the ministry anymore. I'm here, but I'm not in the ministry anymore because I've been offended. But I'm here. Why? Why? Are you glorifying God? 
Would you say I'm here because I know I'm glorifying God and I came out today to glorify God in my life? See, this question, why are we here, is like what the philosophical people ask. Why am I here? Where am I going? Well, this has to do with the purpose of the church. Why the church exists. That's what this question has to do with, why you are here. And of course, I'm addressing, I'm thinking those who are members of the incredible body of Christ, especially at Calvary Bible Church. But if you're visiting, it impacts you as a church member, wherever you may be, if you are a believer. Here is my thesis then as we approach this overview as to why we are here. And we're going to go through it quite quickly because it is quite comprehensive. And I know that most of you are not here to stay here, but you're here to go as soon as you can go. I like to rub that in. Here's the thesis then. The local church must know the biblical reasons for its existence as an organized body if it is to function effectively. Doesn't that make sense? That's logic, not just theology. That's logic. The local church must know the biblical reasons for its existence as an organized body if it is to function effectively. Some of you are business people and you have a well-written, detailed business plan. You know exactly what you want to do in your business every day. You know how much money you want to make. You know how much profit you You know everything about it. But when it comes to your personal life, when it comes to your being a part of the member of the body of Christ and why you are part of that, you have no inkling whatsoever. If you do, you're not interested. I hope we could change that today. As the proper understanding of its nature, the nature of the church, determines the character of its functioning. In other words, if the church is holy, we should function in a holy way. Isn't that right? If the church is led by the spirit of truth, we should do things with integrity. Isn't that right? The nature of the church determines the character of its functioning. Now, we'll be talking about that at another time. But even as that principle is true, so does the proper understanding of the purpose of the church determine the objectives, motivation, standard, and effectiveness of its functioning. And that must be biblical. It must be authoritative. In other words, why are we doing what we are doing? If it isn't based upon the word of God and accomplishing the purpose he has set for it, we are wasting our time. I don't care how nice it is, how humane it might be. But if it's not in keeping with the word of God to accomplish the purpose for the church being here, it's useless, spiritually speaking. It must be authoritative. That means it must be biblical. Now, of course, those are fighting words today in this world in which we live. Some people don't believe that. They don't believe that the Bible is authoritative. That wonderful song we sung about the ancient word, that's a joke to people. The ancient word? We want the ancient word. In fact, I heard a preacher on the other day says, we've got to look for new texts now. We've got to look for up-to-date modern texts to go by in the church. It's amazing. For this standard that we must look for, not only will such a standard provide the means by which the function, the structure, the methods and programs of a local church may be legitimately evaluated as to its basis for being a true biblical church, but it will also provide a biblical basis for formulating specific goals toward which the local church must direct its efforts and resources. I'm simply saying here, everything we do must be evaluated according to the standard of the Word of God. What we're doing, what we're practicing, does not measure up to the Word of God, then we've got to change it, enhance it, 
or get rid of it. Because what I'm saying to you is that to be effective as a local body, we must only be engaged in those things that God himself tells us to be engaged in for his purpose. Such objectives then and goals can only be properly formulated if the overall purpose for the existence of the local church is clearly understood. Now, when I first came here as uh, contemplating coming as pastor, I went through this with the leaders. In fact, I went through it with the, the church whose members were here at that time. Because it's important for you to understand what I believe to be the purpose for the church. Because everything we do and allow to be done as much as we can has to do with my understanding of the purpose of the church. Now, first of all, I believe that the purpose for the church is seen in three different aspects in Scripture. First, we might call it the general purpose. And I see that as being to continue the ministry of Jesus Christ. That's general. You're not saying what it is. Let's look at some Scripture. It's a direct command in John 20, 21. Jesus speaking to the nucleus of the church says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. That's Jesus now. He had a mandate from God the Father. He's going. He's now passing that mandate on to the church. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. He gives a confirmation of that in John 17, 18 in his prayer to the Father. He says, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Same purpose, same mandate. We have the same commission as Jesus Christ. Startling, isn't it? And he promises a divine cooperation with this and take carrying it out. He says in Matthew 28, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now notice this. And surely I am with you. Jesus doesn't give us a mandate and says, you do what you want. He's given us a handbook. He says, you do what I have written in this handbook. You don't go and write your own handbook. And as long as you do this, when you are doing what I command you, I am with you. The implication is, when we are not doing what he's commanded us to do, then what? He's not with us. That's why it leaders. That's why it pastors. Simply because we have the position doesn't mean that we are leaders or pastors in God's sight doing his work. We are only leaders and qualified in his sight if we meet the biblical qualifications. Otherwise, we're only here. You understand what I'm saying? Our Lord then, in, Matthew, in Mark 16 says, the disciples went out and preached everywhere. And the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that were accomplished. He worked with them. See, that's the wonderful promise we have as members of the incredible body of Christ. He's here with us. We're connected to the head. He directs us. And if we lose that connection, we're on our own. No matter what we say, we're on our own if that connection is gone. And the connection we have with the head is the word of God through the Holy Spirit. And so our Lord presents his own mission as the one abiding mission of the Father. His disciples, the then nucleus of the church, received no new commission, but a continuation of the mission of Jesus Christ. And the disciples are to complete that mission, intimate association with him. And so we could say, the general purpose of the church is to continue the ministry of Jesus Christ on earth. I believe that's what the scripture teaches. Now, there's a derived principle then from this truth, and it is this. Because the general purpose of the local church is to continue the ministry of Christ on earth in association with him. And that's important. It's objective. The objective of the church 
and activities must be planned for the specific purpose of fulfilling that ministry. Doesn't that make sense? If that's the purpose, then shouldn't our plans and objectives in our ministry be planned to fulfill that purpose? Definitely. This means, therefore, that the local church must not be involved in any work or activity which does not receive both its commission and sanction from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm talking about the church. I'm not talking about the club or an organization. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ. We're here to do what other organizations and institutions cannot do. This means that the local church must not be involved in any work which does not receive both his commission and sanction from the Lord Jesus Christ. As the head of the church, he must be the only director of the church's actions. See, that's why I don't push bingo. I don't push even cookouts. I don't push all of these activities out there which seems to be so involved by, in so many other churches. Why? Because that's not the function of the church. Caring, Yes. When a member hurts, do we have to go out and sell chicken so people could help that member who's hurting? No. Dig into your own pocket. That's what the church teaches. You understand what I'm saying? See, we become so involved in the techniques and activities of the world to do God's work that God's purpose of being here has been lost at all, altogether. Many times when another Christian is hurting, it doesn't mean for us to go out looking for help to the bank or something, but it's rather, rather it's for us to come looking to ourselves to reach out sacrificially to give. But then there's a second purpose. I call it the ultimate purpose. And that's to glorify the triune God. Of course, we could begin with this one as being number one, but I did this purposely here. Let's look at the example of Christ again to see that the ultimate purpose for the church's existence is to glorify the triune God. John 17, 1. After Jesus said this in the spirit of the Father, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. See, that is what consumed the person of Jesus Christ from the time he came to earth. Even before, in the book of Hebrews, he says, I have come to do thy will, O God. It is written in the volume of the book, I have come to do thy will, O God. Jesus Christ came to earth to glorify the Father. How? By doing his will. That was the only reason for Jesus coming to earth, to glorify the Father. Salvation was a means of doing that, not the end purpose. John 17, 4, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. I have brought you glory by completing the work that you gave me to do. And of course, that included the work of redemption. We cannot do that. Only he could do that. But to proclaim that redemption is our responsibility. John chapter 12, he says, now my heart is troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Should I say that? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, what? Glorify your name. What does it mean to glorify God? We'll look at that in a moment. That's just not some hazy floating thing out there about glory. No, it means to reflect back to God his own nature, his own character. That's the only thing that God can be pleased with when he sees himself being reflected to himself. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. 
Then the voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And you see, that's my cry, that's my passion, to hear God saying that as a result of our being members of the incredible body of Christ, he says, my name has been glorified. Not that we have a big building, not that we have a lot of people, not that we have all, no, 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 but that your name has been glorified. That's the reason for our existence. That's the reason for the existence of the church, to glorify the triune God. Everything else is secondary. In John 13, 13, he says, when he was gone, that's uh, uh, um, the bookkeeper. He says, Judas, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. Notice the emphasis on glorify, glorify, glorify. John 14, I will do whatsoever you ask in my name so that you may do what? Bring glory to the Father. In other words, Jesus' ultimate purpose on earth was to glorify his Father. Everything else was secondary to and the means by which this purpose was realized. This ultimate purpose then to glorify the Father has likewise been passed on to the local church. That's why we're here. We're not here to get a name for ourselves. We're here to get a name for God himself that his name might be glorified. And so we might conclude by saying... The local church achieves its ultimate purpose of glorifying God when it properly associates itself with Christ in the completion of his earthly ministry. In other words, if he came to do a certain ministry by which God was glorified, then we as a local church will glorify God when we complete that ministry as well. Right? Now, there's a second, there's a third thing though. Call it third sub-purpose if you want. I call this the immediate purpose. First we had the general purpose. We had the ultimate purpose. Now we have the immediate purpose. And I believe that the scripture shows that the immediate purpose of Jesus Christ coming to earth was to evangelize the lost and equip the saved to become disciples of Jesus Christ. He had to die, of course. Then he had to proclaim that message. And then he built into those people who became believers so that they might become more Christ-like. Let's look at the example of Christ again. He had a twofold ministry when he was on earth. First, it was redemptive evangelistic. As you look at the passages, you'll see that Jesus Christ came into the world to seek and to save that which was lost. We cannot, we cannot have a part in that ministry of his dying on the cross for us. Our part is to proclaim that completed work. He, and he alone could die And let me pause here right now. If you've never received Jesus Christ as Savior, he died for you. He came seeking to save that which was lost. He saved them. He saved us by taking our place on Calvary's cross. Only he could accomplish that. Jesus both procured and proclaimed salvation. He procured it and he proclaimed it. Only he could accomplish the former. But the latter, the proclamation, he accomplishes through his body, the church. That's what we're here for. To proclaim the saving work of Jesus Christ. And notice what Mark says in Mark chapter 3. And he went up to the mountains and summoned those whom he himself wanted. And they came to him. And he appointed twelve that they may be with him. And that he might send them out to preach. Now notice. 
He didn't only save these individuals through his death, but he called them to himself to equip them to do the ministry. That's what the church is all about, simply put, to do exactly what Jesus did, to call people to himself through faith in him and then to equip them to carry that message out and to demonstrate the grace of God. And so, from the perspective of the epistles, this is what we call discipleship. But from the, from the perspective of the epistles, Jesus' goal was to lead those who believed in him to spiritual maturity. The Gospels focuses on discipleship. The epistles focuses on maturity. If you see that, that's why we have to be careful when we talk about discipleship. and We don't see uh, the enhancement when we come to the epistles. The Gospels focus on discipleship. That's the method that was used in those days, in the Jewish thing. And you come to the epistles, the focus is on spiritual maturity because now it's the context of a body. And that maturity comes through individuals living together with one another in the fear of Christ. As the master teacher, he was also the master disciple. Now, if you look at uh, the marks of a disciple, and we go through this quickly here because it's very important for us to get some idea. If Jesus Christ came to save people, but not just to make go to heaven, but that he might make them into true disciples, what are the marks of a true disciple? Quickly, first of all, this has to do now with where the person is. Here are the marks of a true or mature disciple. First, he has a supreme love for Jesus Christ. Secondly, he has a fervent love for other Christians. The two go hand in hand. You cannot love Christ without loving other believers. It's just impossible. Thirdly, he manifests a denial of self. He puts, him, he puts Christ before himself. Fourthly, he identifies with the reproach and rejection of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to take up the cross and follow him. Fifth, it follow, a true disciple follows Christ consistently. It's not an off and on thing. It's a consistent commitment. Sixth, a true disciple obeys the word of God consistently. All the time. Number seven, true disciple imitates Christ in winning and building new converts. In other words, he repeats the ministry of Christ in his own life. That's what, it, that's a, that's what a true disciple does. He wins new converts and he builds new converts. That's in a nutshell. And that's what we seek to do here to encourage and equip people to do these things. To win people to Christ and then to build them up in Christ after they're won. Now, Look at the Great Commission when it comes to discipleship. The goal was make disciples. Go and make disciples. Actually, the text actually reads, as you are going, make disciples. We normally make the going as the command. Go ye into all the world. But that's not really the true rendering of that passage. It's as you are going. We are expected to be going. Wherever we are, we are to be making disciples. That's the bottom line commission. Making disciples, true disciples, those who are Christ-like. The goal is to make disciples. What is the goal? Or what are the steps? Gospel of Mark, it says we should preach the gospel. That's evangelization. That's the initial step. Secondly, we are to baptize those who believe. We call that incorporation. And then thirdly, we are to teach them all things as commanded by Christ. That's indoctrination. Or that's teaching the word of God. We preach the gospel, they come to Christ, we bring them into the body through baptism, and then we continue to teach the word, the apostles' doctrine, and that's how they grow. Now, when you come to the epistles, 
As I mentioned before, discipleship is seen as Christian growth, which results in spiritual maturity. Now, I trust that you'll read these passages somewhere in Ephesians 4. We've dealt with this before. We're just going over it now in summary. But what he's saying here is that Christian growth results in spiritual maturity. That's a true disciple. That's a real disciple. That's an authentic disciple, one who's growing towards spiritual maturity. It has to do with the Word of God. It has to do with prayer. It has to do with fellowship with God. And as we go on, spiritual maturity can only be realized within the context of a properly functioning church. Ephesians 4 makes that quite clear. It's impossible for you to be a true disciple unless you are involved in the local body. Impossible. Why? Because you're members of a body. My hand can't go with it doing what it wants. My foot can't go with it doing what it wants. The only way that we're going to grow and be effective is if we are together. That's, the, that's why this ministry fair is so important. We're trying to show that the scripture says each one of us have a gift, not for ourselves, but for the other person. I need you and you need me. And we've got to be functioning within the context of a local body if that is to occur. It's impossible to grow into Christian maturity. I don't care how much money you give. I don't care anything else. But if you're not involved in a local body and exercising your gift, you will never be a mature Christian. Never. You could be as sincere as the day come. You won't grow. You won't grow at all. The primary function of the church leaders, the pastors and the teachers, is to equip individual members to affect maturity for the body of as a whole. That's all we're here for. To see that this comes about. That's why we give all of these opportunities. Now, whether you take them up or not, that's your problem. But we have one purpose, and that is to make true disciples. And this is how the Bible says true disciples are made. Not by forcing you to do anything, by threatening you to do anything, but by showing you the glorious position you have as a member of the incredible body of Christ so that you could desire to be involved for the glory of God. Now, the marks of a mature body, spiritual body as a whole is given in Ephesians 4 it's the, it's the unity of faith in the doctrinal beliefs that's why we place so much focus on teaching apostles doctrine that's why this theo- doing theology course is so important the doctrine course that we're teaching in discovery what's happening in, in the Sunday school classes that's why these things are important so that we could come to believe the same things about Jesus Christ and about his word unity in the faith Unity in the knowledge of Christ. That's where we become Christ-like. Unity, we become stable in our doctrinal belief. Today, we need that more than ever. That's why we emphasize about doing theology in community. Today, we have all kinds of threats to the faith. You realize that? People who name the name of Christ are saying that this Bible is not the sole authority anymore. We could bring the Quran in. We could bring in all these other books. We've got to listen to what they have to say too to get their perspective to see if our truth is okay. It's amazing. And many of you are going to be swept away in it. Why? Because you're not going to study. You're not going to read. You, 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 you're not going to uh, in any way interact with the word of God when it comes to these things around. Well, that's all right. I accepted Christ. I say if I go into heaven. Jesus Christ did not save you to go to heaven. He saved you to glorify him on earth. There's three areas, by the way, practice of truth, the truth lovingly. In, in, in verse 15 of Ephesians 4, it says that we should speak the truth in love. Yes, we have to speak the truth. 
And sometimes it might be things you do not want to hear, but it must be done nonetheless. What should I call living lovingly? We should also be active in our participation in the ministry of the church. Each one, according to Ephesians 4, is to be involved in the ministry of the church. Each part doing what God has equipped it to do. And as a result of this, there are three areas of growth in the local church. There's the inward growth. This is what I call qualitative growth. This has to do with spiritual, organic growth. This has to do with edification. This has to do with worship and prayer and studying the word of God. That's inward growth. Then there's outward growth. That's quantitative. This is natural growth. This is what we might call organizational growth. It has to do with evangelism. If we are growing the way we should be doing, then you will automatically be talking about Christ wherever you are. Here is a measure of your maturity. When last have you spoken to someone about Jesus Christ? It should be natural for us to evangelize and to share our faith because that's how the body grows, you see. The conclusion then of this aspect, the local church achieve its ultimate purpose of glorifying the Father by associating herself with Christ in the completing of his ministry on earth. That's the general purpose. Through the evangelization of the lost and discipling of believers so that they become Christ-like in character and action. That's the immediate purpose. That's why we're here. Let me repeat it. Now, here's the application of all of this. The local church exists for the ultimate purpose of glorifying God. This purpose is achieved as believers unite together in love to carry out the ministry of Christ by evangelizing the lost and equipping the believer to become a mature disciple of Jesus Christ. That's it. Now, I will be emphasized, I'll be repeating these same things over and over again in the course of this message because I want you to remember it. By the way, we'll be preparing this in a booklet for you shortly, Lord willing. Calvary's Bible Church's purpose and mission to glorify the triune God by completing the ministry of Jesus Christ on earth, by evangelizing the lost and discipling believers toward Christ-likeness, by providing members with opportunities for a personal encounter with the triune God through worship, the word of God through instruction, the people of God through fellowship, and the world that God loves through evangelism and missions. That's what it's all about. Now, some people might look at it like this, and they would see to glorify the triune God as the ultimate purpose. The ultimate purpose. Then, the general purpose, completing a ministry of Christ. Then, the immediate purpose. It could be the goal. Some would say the business people plan to say that's the goal, purpose, goal. And the immediate purpose could be seen as the objectives. And up here could be seen as the means. What is the end result then? What are we trying to do to produce mature disciples? You see, that's why we use as our motto here, we proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we might present everyone perfect in Christ. That's it. That's what, as far as I'm concerned here, that's what this ministry is all about. Everything else is secondary, you see. Now, here's the preamble to our mission and vision statement. As a reflection of our passion to worship and glorify the triune God... Notice the word passion there. As a reflection of our passion to worship and glorify the triune God, as members of the incredible body of Christ at Calvary Bible Church, we lovingly endeavor to make a visible and eternal impact upon all people within our mission potential, both local and worldwide. In other words, anybody we touch, that's what we want to do. By 
helping the lost to become Christians through faith alone in Christ alone, nurturing Christians to grow into spiritual maturity in the relationship with Christ, and equipping mature Christians to serve him. This is where leadership comes in, both within the church and outward toward the lost and hurting people in the world in which we live. In other words, our mission is to purposely implement the biblical process which will more effectively and assuredly transform believers into mature disciples of Jesus Christ to the glory of God. Let's continue on. Here's a statement of our overall purpose. Now, as I said, we've gone through all of this before in some form. The ultimate purpose of Calvary Bible Church is to glorify God as in obedience to his word and through the illumination and enablement of his Holy Spirit. We seek to continue the redemptive ministry of his son, Jesus Christ, in this world in all its spiritual, physical, and emotional aspects to the full extent of our potential, both local and worldwide, and to give evidence of our subjection to the headship of Jesus Christ. That's important. Evidence to the subjection of Jesus. He's our head. We don't have a committee out there as the head of church or denomination. No, Jesus Christ is our head. And the only way we could get instructions is through his word by his spirit. To give evidence of our subjection to the headship of Jesus Christ through the manifestation of the indwelling Holy Spirit in the individual and corporate life. They go together. Here's a statement of our overall goal. The overall goal of Calvary Bible Church is to continue the ministry of Christ on earth and its, and its threefold in nature. Remember I said we were repeating it? One, to aggressively evangelize the lost with the intent of leading them to faith alone in Christ alone. In other words, we are intentional in evangelization. And again, evangelization has to do with the individual outreach, not the body as a whole, but the individual. Number two, to consistently nurture believers to become spiritually mature disciples so that they reflect Christ's likeness in every area of life. Number three, and to equip them that they are enabled to minister effectively both to other members of the body of Christ so as to affect the qualitative growth of the body and to the world of believers, both at home and abroad, so as to affect the quantitative growth of the body. That's the means of accomplishing the overall purpose. That's the goals, nature of the goal here. Statement of overall, overall objectives now. And this is how we accomplish the overall goal, which enables us to accomplish the overall purpose. They all go hand in hand. Here it goes. The overall objectives of Calvary Bible Church shall be accomplished through the active, consistent, and prayerful ministry of the spiritual leadership of the church by providing Adequate opportunities. This is our responsibility. We could only provide the opportunities for you. It's up to you to take advantage of those opportunities. The members of the body is objective number one. To personally and corporately encounter the triune God through meaningful worship experiences in, our, in an atmosphere of acceptance, belonging, and spiritual freedom. That's important. We, and it's, it's a very hard thing to get away from the rigidity of traditionalism here. It really is. But when we come to worship, they have to have the freedom of the Spirit, something that we enter into without caring what other people say or do that will prevent us from worshiping the way God wants us to worship. To personally and corporately encounter the triune God. See the word encounter. It's not just simply saying, I hear here now, yeah, that was great singing. Mm -mm. You have to encounter God. That's one of the reasons why we have these moments where you can reflect. Now, we want to expand that as we go on, you see. Moments for you to reflect. This is not just a large meeting, the meeting of a corporation. This is where the people of God come to meet God here. 
to personally and corporately encounter the triune God through meaningful worship experience. By the way, that's why only people who are spiritually themselves can, should be leading in worship. People who are living unclean lives whose relationship with God is not clean cannot lead his people in worship. People who have animosity towards one another, hatred or whatever it is in their hearts, they cannot lead. You see, this is where holiness of life comes into play. This is where true discipleship comes to play. To personally and corporately encounter the triune God through meaningful worship experiences in an atmosphere of acceptance, belonging, and spiritual freedom so as to provide for developing and expressing personal worship in prayer, songs of praise, adoration, admonition, and making melody in our hearts to the Lord and in celebration of the Lord's Supper, doing of good deeds, ministering of spiritual gifts, and joyful giving of financial resources. All of these things are aspects of worship. And we try to develop the right environment and opportunity for our people to experience these things. Worship then, a means of accomplishing our overall goal in order for us to accomplish our overall purpose. Objective number two, to personally encounter the word of God through effective expository preaching by spiritually qualified individuals who stand for the historic fundamental truth of the Bible and who through the Bible equip the saints for service for the building up of the body of Christ to foster unity of doctrine and fellowship and to lead to increasing knowledge of the Son of God to spiritual maturity measured by the stature of the fullness of Christ and for protection against the deceitful scheming of Satan. All we're saying here, we preach the word of God. That's what we preach. Whenever you feel that I'm going beyond the word of God and I'm preaching what some man is teaching, if ever you see we coming a franchise church, preaching a sermon that somebody else has preached and then send it worldwide for all the franchises to do, you can fire me. Because I don't think that's in keeping with the word of God. Teaching, preaching the word of God, man who are qualified to do that, who are gifted to do that. And so when you come to hear the word of God, you hear the word of God, not the word of man. That's important. And so this expositional teaching then is the means of accomplishing our overall goal to enable us to accomplish our overall purpose. And that purpose is what? To glorify God. Not to glorify me, not to glorify Racine, uh, I mean, oh, Racine, to, to glorify uh, Calvary Bible Church or the history of Calvary Bible Church but rather to glorify God objective number three to personally and corporately encounter the people of God notice it's personally as well as corporately to encounter the people of God through meaningful fellowship now we say meaningful fellowship sometimes when we think of fellowship we think of kung salad <laughs> we think of chicken sauce are they good things to have when you have the fellowship but that's not all See, meaningful fellowship, kononia, is where we reach out to care for one another. This idea of the love fellowship was when believers who had means brought, for, brought food out to people who didn't have the means. And it was a potluck, potluck type of a situation. They were showing a care for the body of Christ. They were recognizing them as other members of Christ. You see, that's what we want to do when we have our social fellowship. Not just to have social fellowship. Everybody could do that. 
but the members of the incredible body of Christ has a different element in added to it that can only be placed there by those who have been redeemed by the person of Jesus Christ. That's why, personally, I think when we have anything that has to do with social outreach, we should never do anything that a member of this body cannot be involved in. If a cost eliminates them, we shouldn't have it unless we pay for it ourselves. We cannot... In other words, just have socializing, just to have socializing. It's in order to incorporate the body of Jesus Christ. See, these are the things I'm talking about. Doing things in the church that only the church can do. You see? To personally and corporately encounter the people of God through meaningful fellowship experiences through which personal gifts might be mutually shared and love for one another demonstrated in a practical manner so as to encourage one another and to love good deeds and to motivate one another good deeds. You see, we've got to do, do away with these little click groups. You have your little party and only a certain group comes. You have a little party, only a certain group comes. You see, that's prejudice within the body of Christ. We've got to develop something here that when something is done by our people, everybody is welcome. No matter how rich or poor you are, no matter what color you are. Amen. You see. This is what the body of Christ is all about. And until we reach that stage, we are not mature. We are not Christ-like. You see. So this fellowship then is the means of accomplishing our overall goal. In order for us to accomplish our overall purpose. This is an essential part of it. Objective number four. To personally and corporately encounter unbelievers through meaningful evangelistic or mission opportunities. And passionate social outreach. This is when we reach to the world. In other words, this should be an automatic response to what God is doing in us as a body, to reach out, to share what we have with others. That's all it is. God has given us bread, and he's given us a lot of bread. We cannot keep that bread to ourselves. We must share it. That's where evangelism, and that's where mission comes in. That's where the, 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 the social work is concerned. That's when we reach out to the poor. That's what, that's what happens when we are demonstrating the love of Christ. We reach out to those outside as well. So evangelism and missions then and social compassion, the means of accomplishing our overall goal to enable us to accomplishing our overall purpose. And what's that overall purpose? When you leave here, I want you to be able to say this by heart. True disciples of Jesus Christ. That's the product we're trying to produce. True disciples of Jesus Christ. None else. I'm not trying to produce a big membership all kinds of programs, but true disciples of Jesus Christ. That's for you as an individual. And if you're not learning from the word of God how to be more mature, then I'm failing in my job, in my responsibility. But if you are learning and not applying it, you are accountable to God. You understand what I'm saying? You see? This is not a club. This is the church of Jesus Christ, bought by the blood of Christ, redeemed by the this, We've got to see the uniqueness of the people of God. But let's move on. Thank you. Here's a statement of vision now. And remember what the scripture says. Where there is no word from God, the people go astray. See, we've misquoted that in the King James. Where there's no vision. That has the idea that's the preacher's big idea. That's not what the scripture teaches. Where there's no word from God, the people go astray. How? If you read the rest of the text, by doing things their way. A true vision from God is when we follow what he says. Calvary Bible Church exists to glorify God through a passionate ministry, which includes but not limited to worship, instruction, fellowship, evangelism, and social outreach. We are committed to achieving the highest quality in our ministry of maturing and equipping all believers for the ministry and some for leadership, so as to effectively impact the Bahamas as well as the world, all for the glory of God alone. 
For this purpose, we labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works not in me, but in us. That's what we're all about. But let's go on. We're not finished with the vision. We will seek to respond with relevance, relevance to the needs of the people of the Bahamas with the compassion of Christ as a result of our love for the triune God. Notice, there's a love that springs from our own love for God. We will seek with loving care to restore to all people to whom we minister, but especially the people of the Bahamas, the hope that is in Christ as an extension and manifestation of the loving church community we experience as members of Calvary Bible Church. All we're simply saying is we want them to come in too. We will, through faith, seek to reproduce in others the work Christ is performing in our personal and collective lives as disciples of Christ, so that together we might grow toward and in spiritual maturity. So what vision then do I have as senior pastor of Calvary Bible Church? I see a passionate, worshiping, learning, loving, caring, proclaiming, serving family whose only reason for living is to glorify the triune God. That's what I see. But now let's move on here. The supreme mission of the church and so also of every individual believer is to glorify God and to serve him forever. Therefore, if what we do as a church or as individuals cannot serve the glory of God, it will not be done. Period. Our overall purpose, goals, and objectives set forth our philosophy of the local church and the ministry. This, in turn, must form the foundation of our thinking and activities as a body of people. It directs us in what we ought to be doing. Anything which does not conform to this philosophy or contribute to this philosophy of our purpose, goals, and objectives should then be either corrected, rejected, or eliminated from the activities of the church. And it will be doing that. We'll be going through all of our ministries here. If nothing is accomplished, if something is not accomplished, we can eliminate it. But let's move on now. That's our commitment. But now listen to this. And here's our challenge as we close. If we do not unite in our vision, we will fail in our mission. And look at this. What is our vision? I see a passionate, worshiping, learning, loving, caring, proclaiming, serving family whose only reason for living is to glorify the triune God. But now notice here. Do you see what I see? Can I say we, not I, see a passionate, worshiping, learning, loving, caring, proclaiming, serving family whose only reason for living is to glorify the triune God? Let me ask you, do you see what I see? If you do, and please, I mean this now, don't look around you. This is between you and God, not the person behind and back and in front of you or side you, between you and God. If you see what I see when it comes to the mission of the church, I want you to repeat this, putting in it, we. All right? I'm going to go on three. Now notice, if you don't want to be involved, don't. Do this because you see this as a reflection of God's purpose for you here at Calvary Bible Church.